Hi, this is Adam, an audio engineer in Los Angeles, currently working on removing a high-pitched hum from a podcast. This podcast was recorded at... 2.09 p.m. on Monday, June 28th. Things may have changed by the time you hear it, and chances are I'll be on to another piece of audio with a different weird noise in it. Okay, here's the show. I think you have to be a certain age to have heard the timestamp, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah. I hope our podcast doesn't have that certain high-pitched squeal. And if it does, we probably wouldn't know it. Our producers <laughs> would never let that happen. Hey there. It's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, senior political editor and correspondent. And the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure deal hit a roadblock when President Biden said this while discussing his support for it. I expect that in the, the coming months this summer, before the, count, the, the fiscal year is over, that we will have voted on this bill, as well the infrastructure bill, as well as voted on the budget rec, uh, uh, resolution. And that's when they'll, but if only one comes to me, I'm not, if this is the only thing that comes to me, I'm not signing. It's in tandem. It sounded like a veto threat to me, but Tam, Biden walked this back really fast over the weekend. Why? Because in the process of celebrating this big bipartisan deal, he said those words and those words caused Every Republican who had agreed to this big bipartisan deal to say, whoa, 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 I didn't agree to that. What I don't fully understand is that Democrats have been saying for literally months that they would approach this as a two-track approach, the bipartisan infrastructure deal, and then they would try to move forward on their own with a budget reconciliation bill that had more of their own priorities. I mean, did Biden just say the quiet part out loud? Well, no. I mean, he's been saying that part out loud. The difference was he said they have to be linked, not just we'll try on the family's plan and we've got this bipartisan deal on infrastructure, but that the bipartisan deal on infrastructure wouldn't become a reality unless the family's plan did, too. I mean, Democrats, progressives absolutely want the family's plan part to be linked to the infrastructure plan, and moderates and Republicans don't want them to be linked. And and it it's a problem, uh, and, and it is a challenge for the White House because President Biden linked them more closely than people who had signed on to his bipartisan plan deal thing wanted. Okay, so before we move on, uh, you know, I think we should break down these two different plans, these two different tracks. You know, they're they're going on on one track this week, and then they're talking about something a little bit more long term that might be a little more difficult. Can you shed some light on that for us? Sure. I mean, the two bills that we're talking about is the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill that includes more traditional spending for infrastructure projects, roads, bridges, broadband, a lot of traditionally bipartisan stuff, likely expected to get over 60 votes in the Senate if the deal holds. The second more complicated component we're talking about is Democrats once again plan to use the budget reconciliation process to get through uh, as probably going to be a multi-trillion dollar bill looking largely at the social safety net, what they would say is social infrastructure, money for things potentially like Medicare, childcare, 
elder care. Um, many Democrats also want to use it to invest in things to combat climate change. Some want to do even immigration legislation in it. So we don't know the exact shape of it yet, but it's likely to be a pretty behemoth bill of Democratic priorities that can probably only pass with Democratic votes. Yeah, I mean, this is part of the balancing act that Biden is having to do when you're trying to get to 50, uh, when you have a is split down the middle Senate and you have a couple of uh, moderate Democratic senators who don't want to, you know, potentially go along with getting rid of the filibuster, for example, uh, running roughshod over Republicans to get everything through as quickly as possible. And, you know, he needs to be able to get progressives on board to be able to say this is only part of the part of the deal, wink, wink, and then to be able to say to Republicans, you don't need to sign on to all that o other odious stuff, just sign on to this part. But when Biden sort of made the flub that he made, you know, I have to tell you, I uh, was talking to uh, one person who's pretty close to one of the senators, uh, one of the Republican senators involved in these negotiations, and uh, she said this was the first time he'd ever heard Mitt Romney curse. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> What was the curse? Was it like G. Willikers? Probably Damn. gosh dang it or something. Gosh you know. dang it. You know. Shucks. <laughs> Biden may have walked back the comments, but from Capitol Hill, I think the point really remains true. I mean, Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer have also basically said that they see these two bills having to move together. Schumer has explicitly said that we, ha we can't have one without the other. And Pelosi has said she has no plans to bring up the bipartisan deal unless it's clear to her that the Senate can send over a likely Democratic-only package. So I still think that the game is that these two bills probably can't exist unless the other survives. I, I think you are almost certainly right about that. And, and President Biden just needed to put a little distance between himself and that political reality uh, in order to keep the bipartisan deal alive. And the amazing thing is he put out his statement, walking it back. Uh, and the next morning, there are those Sunday shows that politicians appear on to talk about politics. And Republican members of Congress, Republican senators went out and said, that was great. That was absolutely perfect. And we are moving forward. And we've got even more people. We think we've got it. We've got a way for this bipartisan deal at least to pass. Um, as for the other part, <laughs> it's less clear. And, and one thing that's interesting coming out of the White House today is they're, they're trying not to say it was a full walk back. They're saying the president is still eager to sign both pieces of legislation. But the logistics of how these things get passed and what sequence, that's up to Congress. That's up to Pelosi hmm. and Schumer. Well, I hate to break this to both of you, but we probably have many, many more months ahead of us discussing how this all lands. So, Tam, we're going to let you get back to the White House, and I'm sure we'll have you on very soon to talk about whatever has coming up next in the infrastructure battle. God, I was saying it was infrastructure season, but we have moved to another season. And we may well move to yet another season, and we will definitely, most definitely, still be talking about this. <laughs> infrastructure decade. Yeah. <laughs> For now, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're headed to Ohio, where former President Trump held a campaign-style rally this weekend. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Hint, fruit-infused water with no calories or sweeteners. Hint water comes in over 25 flavors. The watermelon water actually tastes like watermelon. 
The blackberry water tastes like blackberries. Hint is water with a touch of true fruit flavor. You can get Hint water at stores, or you can have it delivered directly to your door. When you buy two cases, you'll get a third case free and free shipping. Visit drinkhint.com and use promo code NPR at checkout. NPR's No Compromise podcast just won the Pulitzer Prize. We explore a breed of gun rights activism that's online, organized, and unwilling to budge. I'm Chris Haxel. I'm Lisa Hagen. Check out No Compromise wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back, and we have Don Gagne here with us. Hey, Don. Hey, how you doing? You know, one of the surest signs that our at least our political lives are getting back to normal is Donald Trump is having rallies again, and Don Gagne is in Ohio to cover them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe an understatement to say a lot has changed since the last time you were at a Donald Trump rally. So how did this one compare to the Trump rallies of the past? Yeah, and you know he hadn't done one of these since. Well, the last the last rally was January sixth, the day of the you know the 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 attack on the Capitol. Mm. He seemed rusty to me. His delivery seemed kind of rote, you know, kind of sing songy, kind of meandering. Mm. It did get stronger, and it did kind of feel like the old Trump in the final half hour as it built to its conclusion, you know, and as the sun had gone down. Uh, but, uh, but, but it definitely took him, took him a while to, to get back in the groove and, and you could kind of feel that in the crowd. Uh, you know, the other thing there, there's always that I'm the greatest vibe, uh, that's certainly still there, but I will tell you it's now I'm the greatest but I was robbed. Hmm. <laughs> and that's a, that's different, you know? But the thing is, you know, Don, I mean, we've been to some of these, obviously. And, you know, do, were people there just as like a, you know, reunion tour, trying to see, you know, if Trump still got it or just sort of like, oh, there's there's someone that, you know, they see as famous? Or do they really still feel dug in that this is the person who should be president, deserves to be president, and they want him to run in 2024? Oh, it's very much the latter. Uh, uh. Trump 2024 banners, T-shirts, giant flags, you know, uh, uh you know, like like twenty foot by thirty foot, these massive flags are everywhere, and Trump twenty twenty four bumper stickers are everywhere. And uh, I'll tell you what, you also see a lot of. You do see a much more pronounced Q QAnon presence than maybe we we saw at past rallies. I mean, it, you'd see it on T shirts; it was always there. But now, like you know, again, big banners, big signs mounted in the parking lot that kind of become a focal point. Uh, and and the connection there is that it was not at all unusual to find people in this crowd who not only think Trump won the won the election. But they think he's going to be back in office in a matter of months. You know, we know that conspiracy theory is out there. A lot, a, a lot of adherence to that at this rally. Was that the president's main message? Was he there just to continue to sort of throw gasoline on the fire that the election was rigged and keep repeating all these baseless claims about the election? I mean, is that the main point of this or was there other messages? 
Yeah, there was there was plenty of that uh, in the in 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 his remarks and also in the remarks from opening speakers, who included uh, Congressman Jim Jordan and Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. So that was certainly the main theme. But uh, uh, the stated purpose for this rally was to drum up support for a Republican congressional candidate named Max Miller. Uh, Max Miller is a former White House aide, and he is challenging Republican Congressman Anthony Gonzalez, who you know, represents this part of Ohio. And Gonzalez's sin is he is one of those very few Republicans who voted to impeach Trump. Mm. So Trump was there drumming up support for, for, uh, for Max Miller. But I will tell you, even when Max Miller was brought up on stage uh, next to Trump for both the photo op and to speak for a few moments, uh, his first focus was even looking ahead to Trump 2024. Uh, And he said, we're all here because we know that Donald Trump is going to win a third time, was was the phrase he used, uh, in 2024. But but the audience, um, I want to play you a quick conversation I had with a 31-year-old woman in the crowd, uh, a, a physical therapist from Strongsville. Her name is Kristen Kinnell. And she admitted she was there because she loved Trump. And I asked her how much attention she's paying the next year, how much she knows Max Miller. Give a listen. How much are you paying attention the next year? The midterm, not the next presidential one, but the next one. Not much. Do you know who Max Miller is? Nope. You're going to hear about Max Miller. Okay. Yeah, no, I think I like I like him, right? He's good. He's, he's good for us. <laughs> so, I mean, she, Trump is helping her make up her mind, and he, she's never heard of the guy before. But <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's just so interesting. I mean, you know, it always is one of those things of whether or not the people who go to these things are really engaged in the races and are there because they just want to see uh, Trump, this famous guy that they like, or are they? Is that going to translate into votes in that primary? Absolutely. All right, I think that's a wrap for us today. We will be back in your feeds tomorrow. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress. I'm Domenico Montanaro, senior political editor and correspondent. And I'm Don Gagne, covering national politics on the road. And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. Mm-hmm.